0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to the Gluten Free Voice. This is Jules Shepard, and I am honored to be joined this evening by Dr. Alessio Fasano of the University of Maryland Center for Celiac Research. And we're going to be talking about lots of things today. We've gotten lots of questions in, but the main focus of the call tonight is going to be to talk about this great news that the center is actually going to be moving and taking on a whole new personality. We want to find out a lot more about that. So, just a brief background on Dr. Fasano for those of you who are not um, familiar with him. He is a world-renowned pediatric gastroenterologist, and he is the founder of the Center for Celiac Research that has been to date at the University of Maryland and will soon be moving to Mass General Hospital in Boston. I'd like to welcome Dr. Fasano. Thank you for joining me.
0: Hi, Susan. Uh, it's my pleasure.
1: Well, I really appreciate it. I know this is late and you have been working um, tirelessly as usual and you're calling in from Boston tonight and I really appreciate your time. I know lots of people are anxious to hear more about the move, why it's happening and what they can expect. Um, will come from the move personally, but also for the future of celiac research. So I just kind of really want to jump in um, right away to just find out a little bit more about that. I I know I particularly know a lot about the center because, you know, that's where I'm treated as a, a patient. I have celiac disease and you are my physician. You're also a dear friend of mine and have written the foreword to all three of my books, and so we know each other quite well, but there's lots of folks out there who maybe aren't as familiar with the Celiac Center. Could you just give us a little bit of background on how it came to be founded and you know how long it's been in existence and what its mission has been?
0: Sure. Uh, Jules, the Center was uh, founded uh, in uh, 1996 out of uh, necessity, I should say, there was a the time in which very little was known about cedar disease in the United States. The general perception was that it was non-existent situation. And when we tried to do our homework to really uh, trying to understand how to help the cedar community, that honestly was rather, you know, a small community, I, and answer some, you know, basic questions, and particularly why there was this huge discrepancy between what was going on in Europe at that time in which city disease was pretty, you know, clear to be a big deal and what was going on here that uh, seems to be a negligible condition, we immediately realized that to do this right, we needed a coordinated effort uh, in which clinical care, uh, you know, advocacy, education, awareness, and, and science would be under the same roof. And that's how, um, you know, a celiac center was conceptualized, so it was merely out of necessity, if you wish.
1: Um, well, so, but, then, but was there anything else like that anywhere else in the world at the time when you founded no. this in
0: 1996? No. Nope. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. First, uh, such a, an operation, and again, and keep in mind that, put this in perspective, this was the time in which no labs had, uh, you know, tests for celiac disease, and the... A uh, gluten-free uh, market was pretty much non-existent. So um, we really have to start from scratch somewhere, and that's how right. we come up with this idea.
1: And the center was instrumental in sort of, you know, pioneering that lab test that you just alluded to, that so many folks have been, you know, at least initially diagnosed with celiac disease now from a, a lab um, test where the blood is tested and in, in a really, you know, kind of, everyday average lab setting which you know at the time when you founded this there was no such test so you've been very instrumental in spearheading, you know, lots of diagnosis, um, you know, advancements in diagnoses with the, the the disease, but also in working towards finding a cure and perhaps potentially, um, you know, warding off the disease. And, and I guess that's where the Center for like Research really comes into play that a lot of people are familiar with. But you're also a treatment center. You've, you've been treating, you know, people of all ages, and you still do, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and again, uh, sometimes, you know, going back and reflecting on the uh, history of the center is mind blowing, at least to me, how far we uh, went uh, in only 16 years. I mean, again, uh, when we started, there was not a blood test. We had to set up our own lab because, you know, if you wanted to be tested for serious disease, there was no such a thing available. Uh, you know, again, uh, the awareness of serious disease was not existing. Uh clean care was something that was very erratic, and uh people um patients uh, leave the frustration to know more than their physicians when uh, eventually mm-hmm. will end up to seek advice and help um Of course, dietitians were very uh, you know um not tuned into what c disease was all about and again, and we step by step realized that there was a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. And with humility and and dedication, we start from scratch. And, uh, you know, again, uh, as you were mentioning, uh, we've been uh, striving not only to provide, you know, health care, the best health care possible for both adults and pediatric patients, but also to improve the quality of life of people with serious disease by developing these new diagnostic uh, strategies and um, now going to project in the future possible alternative strategies for treatment and prevention of serious disease.
1: And you've really been a model for other centers to be formed around um, the country and, and the world, for that matter. Having started so early, you know, in the relative history of, of our knowledge of celiac disease, so a lot of other centers and, and you know, groups have modeled themselves after the celiac center, which is quite an honor.
0: Yeah. Well, again, we um, first of all we're pleased that we're other places that they start to really pay attention to celiac disease. And when there was time for them to set up their operation, we were very much, you know, uh, willing to uh, share the mistakes that we made so that they can avoid them and and, uh, start in the right track. And uh, we had, you know, directors coming to Baltimore to, you know, talk with us directly on how to set up the certain stuff like this. So, yeah, I mean, I think after all, um, again, who's not been through the entire path of history... Uh, m- many things are given for granted, but again, uh, this was a really a, a a long but uh, successful process that brought to uh, the situation that we have now in many centers that we have throughout the country.
1: Well, and interestingly enough, you know, the CELAC Center has been, you know, at the forefront of, of, you know, really advancing our knowledge of the disease, of how many people have the disease, of treatment, of diagnostic testing, but also, you know, taking this holistic approach the entire life of someone with celiac disease and how that's affected you all have really been instrumental in pushing for gluten-free food labeling as well which you know some people might not really think is is something that would happen at a center you know research center for celiac disease but because of the way you approach the disease and the, you know, the entire life and lifestyle of someone with the disease or someone, you know, now who we understand, um, you know, might be living because they have gluten sensitivity, not necessarily celiac disease, but those of us who are living gluten-free need to have food labeling. And you have really been um, front and center in that effort as well.
0: Well, again, uh, you you definitely have the knowledge, the expertise to appreciate, you know, how instrumental will be a clear Legislation on and free labeling, and uh, in an effort of our mission, we've been, you know, um, engaged in this kind of uh, endeavor. For the very beginning, starting with, uh, you know, the uh, FALPA uh, legislation, when you know the bipartisan, you know, uh, health committee was put together, and they were trying to legislate, you know, food labeling for food allergens, there was no word about CD disease in the law. So first and foremost, we were asked to uh, provide our expertise in terms of the gluten component of this law, and then we made you know, the legislator aware that you know while it would be great to take care of, uh, of wheat allergies, uh, there was this other entity that were pretty much unknown at that time called city disease that we anticipated to be much more of a deal in terms of managing the problem in the United States. So. Uh, we were able, you know, to convince the legislator to introduce in in that, that, you know, piece of law uh, the word severe disease, and eventually when, uh, you know, the law was passed in 2004, it was, you know, eventually um, led to uh, the Food and Drug Administration for implementation of the law. We've been engaged uh, uh, from the very inception uh, to help the Food and Drug Administration to uh, come up with uh, um, clear thresholds and i'm 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 pleased to say that you know finally i believe that we are at the final stretch uh, they've done all their own work and hopefully uh by the beginning uh, the end of the year the beginning of next year we will have uh, the uh final uh, uh legislation out there and you know again i believe that this is a tremendous tremendous achievement uh, when you talk about, you know, uh, taking care of people with the disease and other gluten-related disorders, I mean, you know, uh, a clear threshold that the possibility to go shopping and be safe uh, will make a world of difference. Uh, and I'm sure that you can appreciate the algorithm that uh, compared to the situation that we have right now.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and, and I want to personally thank you, and on behalf of our community as well, thank you for really working to um, make that legislation become a reality. I know that, you know, there have even been, you know, last-minute meetings coming down the stretch, as you say, but it's nice to hear, and I've had several people ask me recently, you know, what's going on, what's the latest, why hasn't it come out? And and I think, you know, we all know it's, it's coming, it's just when, <laughs> you know, and we kind of have an idea what it's going to look like, but we really appreciate that you've been pressuring them and staying really, you know, with it as part of the whole component of the lifestyle of someone who's living, you know, gluten free.
0: Yeah, I'm confident that we're at the final stretch. I mean, uh, we had just had a meeting uh, with the FDA a um, couple weeks ago and uh, I'm pretty confident that, again, uh, we are, you know, uh, we are pretty much there. I mean, of course, you know, the Food and Drug Administration is dealing with so many other issues facing uh, this economical situation that we have right now. But they, are, they understand and appreciate that, you know, uh, for the city community, this is a big deal. It's, it's, it's long due um, that for CIDICs, so the gluten-free diet, is the equivalent of, uh, di- you know, including for diabetics. And it's not a lifestyle. It's, it's a medical necessity, and uh, they appreciate that. So right. I'm pretty sure and confident that uh, that we move very, uh, you know, uh, aggressively to translate this legislation, so we finally we see this fruition.
1: Uh, right. Well, that's that's great news, and I appreciate the update very much. Um, you know, sort of returning back to celiac research, we've kind of glazed over like there's so much to say about you know the this short history of celiac research. You know, relatively speaking. But there have been so many achievements that have been made in this really, really short time period. Looking back, is there a single greatest achievement that you think that the center um, has accomplished in its history so far?
0: Well, I believe that there are probably two major achievements. One that is, you know, coming to its uh, 10th anniversary, i.e., what I believe has been the landmark 2003 study that puts UV disease on the American uh, map. Um, you know, again and before that, we did this study. The skepticism of the existence of the disease among professionals was very high. Um, so it was neglected. It was denied. Uh, that study, I believe, you know, changed completely the paradigm to the point in which there is no discussion anymore if right. the disease exists or not. Um, I think that this has been probably the landmark, uh, you know, um, you know, signature of the center. Uh, in terms of contribution of the celiac community. And the other thing that is much more recent is, you know, understanding a little bit more of the dynamic of celiac disease, learning that you are not born celiac. So it's not destiny that because you have the genetic predisposition that you're going to develop celiac no matter what because everybody is exposed to gluten, that it's the second key element of the story. Rather, what we learned, and relatively recently, is that, you know, um, people that eat gluten having genetic predisposition not necessary would develop CV disease. There are other elements that are, you know, necessary to really make you develop celiac uh, because we learn, for example, there are people that can eat gluten for 50, 60, 70 years without having problem, and all of a sudden they lose this, uh, you know, uh, capability to tolerate gluten and develop CV disease. And there are these two key questions. Uh, one is... What kind of tricks these people have been using to tolerate <coughs> immun for so long? because if we learn a trick, we can apply this to all the people at risk and 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 avoid serious disease uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, this, you know development uh, and this will be the oligarchy because there will be you know um, the the key to prevent an uh, autoimmune disease and, and that will be awesome. Second so question is what kind of problem they face? What happened to them that made them to lose this luxury after so many years? And here we are making so many strides in understanding what is the problem that people may face uh, that can eventually switch them from tolerance to gluten I E health to uh, immune response to gluten I E severe disease.
1: Yeah, I think those those are huge huge. Um advancements that have been made. And, and I would add to that as well, because this affects so many people, is the recent recognition by the medical community, the center included, of the condition of gluten sensitivity, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And you know I think what the promise of the future holds for all of those who are finally going to be um, given a diagnosis that makes sense and, you know, for them to be able to be recognized as having a legitimate, you know, medical condition that needs, um, you know, a, a strict gluten-free diet and, you know, learning and building upon those learnings going forward, I'm, I'm really eager to find out all of the different things that you all will be learning and sharing with other physicians in the coming years on non-celiac gluten sensitivity.
0: Yeah, this is a deja vu for us because we're going through the same process that we went with severe disease 20 years ago, starting from the skepticism of colleagues that say, well, this this does not exist as they did with severe disease, and then eventually uh, coming around and agree that there is such a thing. Uh, but we're very much at the very early steps of uh, a journey that, again, we, we, we went through with severe disease a while ago. We're still in the learning process. There are many other issues that needs to be, you know, uh, tackled. Uh, but, again, uh, at least we achieve one goal already, uh, that the scientific community is recognizing, uh, you know, non-serious sensitivity as a, a legitimate situation. There are many people that suffer this condition. We don't know how many because we don't have a way to, you know, uh, diagnose with a, a test as we do with serious disease, but we're working on it. My sense from my clinic experience is that probably it's much more frequent than celiac disease, but I'm not sure how much more uh, we're talking about. And there are interesting and extremely controversial areas um, of the gluten sensitivity spectrum, uh, particularly you know concerning behavior. We we are very much focusing on two conditions. Uh, autism and schizophrenia that uh, for many years have been debated how much gluten has to deal with these uh, conditions, and I believe that finally we make some uh, progress in that direction uh, with some very remarkable results, I should say.
1: So, are you um, undergoing studies right now through the center that are studying the effects of gluten on autism and schizophrenia?
0: Yeah, we, in collaboration with colleagues uh, both at Johns Hopkins uh, and other institutions uh, like Caltech, uh, we we are trying to make a sense of what's going on. And again, this spans from uh, you know a, a long and far to be settled debate between believers and non-believers, believers that they are convinced that Putin has a great deal uh, to do with the onset of these diseases and advocates to place all people without uh, schizophrenia and kids without this monoglutin-free diet and the non-believers that they advocate uh, uh, the fact that there is no evidence whatsoever including has anything to do with these conditions and therefore people should not waste their time, efforts and, and, and uh, focus uh, in that direction. Uh, our position is you know, something in the middle. I mean, uh, we don't believe that all people we see with uh, schizophrenia or, uh, you know, autism are gluten-sensitive and, therefore, will benefit uh, from a gluten-free diet. But by the same token, we really do believe, for what our data that we're generating so far, there are subgroups of uh, people uh, suffering these conditions that are actually got to that final destination to gluten-sensitivity and, therefore, would benefit highly. From uh, yeah. um, you know a gluten-free diet, and we have already some proof concepts on the schizophrenic patients that we've been diagnosing having gluten sensitivity that, plays on a gluten-free diet, they do much better.
1: Wow, that's I mean I, I'm I don't even know what to say. I think that's just, it's fantastic, and I'm so excited. I, I just actually did a an interview this week with a group. A radio interview with a group that's you know very tied in with the autistic community, and they were asking me the same questions you know, but when are we ever going to have medical proof that that the gluten free diet can actually you know help in some regards with autism spectrum disorder and it's just wonderful to hear that you know you all are actually moving in that um, in that direction as well with that and schizophrenia, so that's fantastic news and great information. Um, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is you know now we 're hearing that the center that has been at University of Maryland for all these years is moving to Mass General in Boston, so you know i 'm sure that there are many, many reasons for the move, but i'm knowing you as I do, I know that that this move has lots of wonderful potential for the future of celiac research and all of the opportunities for research that the center can engage in. So could you just, I guess, you know, give us a little flavor for, you know, all of the different exciting things that you see ahead for the center because of this move to Mass General?
0: Well, you know, um, science is becoming so complex and um, at the same time so exciting that you really to move uh, a field forward like the field of serious disease and gluten-related disorder, you have to have a critical mass of individuals around that will have a complementary and uh, a broad uh, um, expertise really to give justice to what are the challenges to move uh, you know, forward. I mean, we have enjoyed uh, during the 16 years' history of what we call transformational science, science that changed paradigms. Now is the time to capitalize on loose uh, science by really moving to the next level. And, again, uh, as much as uh, Maryland has been an, an unbelievable, wonderful experience for all of us, um, you know, Boston is really providing this critical mass that otherwise would be difficult to achieve um, uh, in in, uh, in any other institution in the world. You know, after all, Plus General is um, been named this year number one hospital in the country, and that means in the world, and for a reason, uh, because they have this wealth of, uh, um, you know, investigators, clinicians, uh, scientists. They are extremely uh, dedicated and smart and very collegial in the way that they do science. So we we decided that, you know, when we were invited, actually, to take in consideration to move the center there, and we did a little bit of analysis. Uh, we realized that the pros really, by far, um, were more than the cons. And uh, as destructive and complicated as to move an entire operation, uh, we decided to collegially that this was an opportunity that we cannot pass. And, and again, keep in mind that one of the other centers in the United States happened to be in Boston, and that is Israel. And, um, you know, when we decided to eventually consider the opportunity, first thing we did was to call our colleagues and ask them if they would be willing to merge in in our operation. And without hesitation, they said absolutely yes. So what we're going to have there will be probably a Harvard uh, Center for City Research that will encompass, you know, mass general, Beth Israel and Children's Hospital, making us definitely, um, you know, people, they keep saying the largest in the world. I think that the largest world is relatively important. But the best in the world is what I believe that we're going to be um, once everything will be settled and done, um, moving again us to the next level uh, that will serve better, you know, the city community by tackling challenges that now we have in terms of knowledge
1: yeah it sounds like a fantastic opportunity. I, when will the move be effected?
0: Well, we will start moving uh, you know uh in, in January, so it's next three weeks, um, and we will open uh, our clinical operations soon after, um because of course, uh, you know uh, uh, we have uh, you know a pretty large uh, adult and pediatric operation in Maryland. Um, you know, 60% of the people, they were flying to Maryland anyhow, so I'm assuming that that kind of um, core uh, number of people will still be there. Of course, there will be people in Maryland that will find it to come all the way to Boston, other than decide to come anyhow. Um, and then, you know, uh, we will complete the entire center move by May. That's our mission to become totally operational at that point.
1: Yeah, I you know, you anticipated my next question which was the clinical side of things and when I posted an invitation for folks to ask questions to you. One of the questions that I got um was not even a question, was an it was an overwhelming enthusiastic yay from um a New Englander who said that they were so excited about your move to Boston and the idea of having this resource close by is overwhelming in a good way. And I think you will see a lot of that from those uh, those in the, the immediate area of the New England area there, especially that you're be you know, working together with Beth Israel and Harvard. And children's as well. It's just going to be a phenomenal resource to have in that area. Of course, we will greatly miss you in the Baltimore area. And another question that I received was, what happens to the clinic patients who are here in the Baltimore area? Are they then to travel to Boston to be treated um, by the clinic, or do they stay, you know, working with physicians here who will be remaining behind, or how how will that transition work?
0: Well, again, we try to really make uh, you know the transition as smooth and uh, and uh, you know acceptable to our patients, and remains our major focus, of course. So we we are um, aware and we acknowledge that some patients will not have the means or the capability and the possibility to come to Boston. Uh, in in this case, we provided you know information to our patients in terms of what kind of uh, Supports we can provide um, both uh, from the pediatric side, and here we will continue having physicians that were involved in the center that will stay behind in Baltimore so they will continue to have the same care and the adult patients that will be taken care by our adult gastroenterologist colleagues. Um, we will stay engaged, of course, as a center, so as we do already for uh, many other colleagues uh, throughout the country. We provide advice. We provide, you know, support. We provide second opinion if and when they need our help. And we will definitely do this uh, uh, also for our, uh, you know, uh, patients for Maryland. And then there's going to be a group of patients that, you know, will decide to continue being uh, uh, taken care by us. And they will travel on, um, you know, occasional basis in Boston. And, of course, we will welcome them um, you know, to, to be uh, in Boston, to um, uh, continue being under our care. But no matter what, again, we, we are very much focused on making sure that, you know, all patients will be taken care of with the same quality uh, and, and uh, you know, professional, uh, you know, um, cyber care that we've been provided all these years because for us this is a paramount goal.
1: And another thing that you have historically done here at the University of Maryland has been to teach tomorrow's physicians in an academic setting at the University of Maryland School for Medicine you have um you know been uh, many times rewarded with um honors as one of the favorite professors here and i've had the honor of coming to your classes and speaking to your students about what it's like from a celiac patient's perspective and i know that that's been a really valuable experience for all concerned are you going to be continuing to teach at Maryland or elsewhere or what's your what does your future look like
0: Well, interestingly enough, I will maintain a voluntary appointment in Maryland mainly because the students overwhelmingly asked me to continue teaching there. (laughs) So at least for this year, I will continue teaching our new, uh, you know, uh, future colleagues in Maryland, um, uh, you know, for the course of um, the first year's medical uh, school course. Uh, what's going to happen in the future, I'm not sure. We'll see how I will be able to manage uh, this. But, you know, again, teaching is, is definitely a passion for me, and it's the reason why I'm in academia. So if I can make this happening uh, beyond, you know, next year, I will do my best to continue
1: doing that. <laughs> Well, you will be spread thin, no doubt, but another question that came in sort of pertains to that, which is, you know, despite your best efforts and the best efforts of all of those in the other celiac centers, you know, to spread knowledge about celiac disease to physicians and to nutritionists and to spread knowledge about non-celiac gluten intolerance and gluten sensitivity, there are still plenty of physicians who either admit that they don't have the ability to treat someone with celiac disease because they lack the, the requisite knowledge or who, you know, may not admit that and the patient as you mentioned at the very beginning of the broadcast still knows more than the doctor about celiac disease and about gluten sensitivity. You know, it's so crucial for people like you to be teaching tomorrow's physicians and to be continuing to educate and yet you are going to be spread so thin. So, you know, what the question that came in was, you know, what what do you see as the future of you know, the physician population with regard to celiac disease and non celiac gluten sensitivity and the knowledge that they have or, you know, are continuing to lack for those of us in the patient population who are finding them, you know, not they can't get to Boston. They can't get to a center. What you know? What do you think is going to be the prognosis, if you will, for physician education in this field?
0: Well, you know, while I acknowledge there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, no question about uh, the fact that there's still many colleagues in the healthcare profession in general that are not totally acquainted with how to manage, you know, severe disease and other gluten disorders. I also want to remind the people that were not there that we started uh, in a situation which physicians they didn't even know how to spell severe disease. <laughs> so we made quite a strive since then. Uh, are we there yet? No. Um, and, you know, one other reason that I believe that, uh, you know, Boston will be a tremendously uh uh, you know um value added opportunity for us is that again uh, enjoying our efforts with Beth Israel Children's Hospital uh, education will become a- an affair that is not on a single individual's you know shoulders but spread uh, through uh, many experts that are very much dedicated to uh, in uh, uh, educating uh, you know uh, our current colleagues and the new generation So, uh, personally, I believe that if we will continue the path that we established 16 years ago, um, time will come that, you know, at least for the basics, uh, you know, uh, healthcare professional, particularly, you know, internists and general pediatrician, will have an understanding how to engage a possible diagnosis of disease and gluten sensitivity and uh, refer, you know, these patients uh, to the civic centers when they need some extra help or uh, for an initial, you know, know, establishment of the situation after which they can keep, you know, continuing uh, uh, the care of these patients when, uh, you know, they've been uh, evaluated by one of the centers. So I, I personally am rather optimistic. Um, again, there's still a lot of work to be done, but we've made so much strive in this direction um, that, you know, again, I don't think that uh, we'll be too optimistic to predict that we'll be much better off in from, year, from year, four or five years from now. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. now that we're in, a, in, in the era of a, you know, um, global village of, of communication and education, uh, people, they don't need to travel to meetings anymore to learn about it. They can do a webinar. They can listen to a show like this. And there should be, you know, um, you know informed uh, with the latest you know, news in, in the field and, and being able to, you know, properly taking care of, uh, uh, you know, celiac patients. And the other thing that I want to say is that, you know, professional societies like, for example, the North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition, are very much engaged in education to the point in which, um, you know, there is a, a, a project of a textbook for professionals to learn about CD disease and other gluten-related disorders that I'm um, um, helping uh, um, as an editor that will come out sometimes next year that will be a tremendous uh, asset for um, you know, physicians that they want to have the basics to manage serious disease. So, you see, there are initiatives uh, uh, that I believe will will uh, lead to a much better understanding from uh, healthcare profession about serious disease and, and, therefore, a better management of their patients.
1: Well, and hopefully, as you said, the move to Boston and really combining forces of, you know, all of these groups together with the critical mass, um, of all of the folks and, and the power that that they can wield together with the resources and the time and energy of all combined. You know, you're going to see advances in celiac research, but you're also going to see more publications. You're going to see more education for physicians, as you just mentioned, one coming out next year. So hopefully all of these things will have a snowball effect and will, you know, really Serve to benefit all of us in the patient population, who you know need more answers and need better treatment. So you know, hopefully, that's another wonderful thing that will come out of this move.
0: I'm very convinced about that. If I was not, I would not have made the sacrifice to outroot, um, you know, 20 families to bring them over here. And uh, we all, you know, um, collegially decided that this was the right move to help the city community and. We are delighted to
1: do it. Well, one last question for you, and, you know, we're coming up upon the end of this year, and for those who are considering year-end gifts to promote celiac research, you know, can you briefly describe if someone wanted to make a financial contribution to the Center for Celiac Research at this point in this year, what would happen to their money? What Where would it go? What would it be used for? Is this the best time to to do that, or should they wait until the move has been made? You know, I know a lot of people have questions about that at this time of the year.
0: Sure. Um, uh, we, again, uh, um, this transition to leave Maryland to move to Boston – has been very um, um, smooth and uh, um, we were very grateful to the um, support that we got from the University of Maryland that agreed, uh, of course, to allow us to continue our, uh, you know, funding, uh, um, you know, um, endeavor and to have fundraising to continue the way that we typically do With the understanding that the money will all be moved 100% to Boston uh, to fulfill the desire of who donates money to have this given to uh, an operation that uh, is there to help uh, people with cystic disease. So, uh, long story short, uh, you know, stay confident that if you decide uh, to donate, you know, by the end of the year. All this money will go 100% to research as happened in the past 16 years. And again, we every year at the end of the year, we send not only a thank you letter, but also a summary of what we have done with the money so that we are fully accountable for uh, the kind of investment that we make, no matter if you donate $0.50 cents or $500,000. Okay.
1: Well, thank you very much for that information as well. But... Um, I I want to leave you with something that someone had said in response to this show on Twitter today. And someone posted, I love Dr. Fasano. I'm healthy because of him. And I think that that sums up so much of what the celiac community feels about you and the center and the work that you're doing and how valuable it has been in all of our lives and will continue to be. And we have the utmost confidence in your choice to you know, pool your efforts and resources to move to the Mass General community and look forward to hearing about all the wonderful advancements and, you know, the latest research that comes out from the center wherever it happens to be. But we thank you very, very, very much for everything that you've done and thank you again for taking time out of your day, your late night, to speak with us tonight on the show and really appreciate all that you do.
0: But well, Jules, uh, of course, it's been a privilege to serve the Cedar community in all the capacity that we have. We will continue to do that, and uh, you know, I, uh, we are very appreciative uh, from people. They have so nice w- words for us. Uh, this this would really allow us to keep going. Uh, and again, I, I want to reassure everybody that we will continue. Uh, to provide uh, the same quality of care and dedication that we've been profusing for the past 16 years, and to be even more efficient and competitive in doing that. So, um, and, and of course, Jules, so I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, appreciative that you gave me the chance to uh, talk with the city community about this transition. that, Again, we see this as a tremendous opportunity, not just for us, for the entire community to continue serving in the way that we've been doing, uh, you know, the entire, you know, celiac and gluten-sensitivity community and the family that lives this kind of situation so that we will continue our mission in improving the quality of life of everybody.
1: Well, thank you very much. Um, And safe travels, I know you're going back and forth a lot between now and January, but safe travels in those and, you know, take care in the holiday season. We'll look forward to hearing a lot more um, out of the center and look forward to seeing what comes of this move.
0: Thank you, Jules. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Good night.
1: Good night. Take care.
0: Bye.